Have a seat, everyone. Good morning. As Troy mentioned, I'm Brett. I'm the pastor of worship, and uh, we're, we're kind of rotating through the pastors, taking turns speaking and getting some help along the way. But uh, we're in the middle of a series of messages called Grounded that explores the key or central truths of the Christian faith. Um, through the 2,000 years that the church has been around, all Jesus followers have held to some truths as foundational for everything else that we believe and how we follow Jesus. We've been using this uh, diagram as a way to kind of understand some of our beliefs and which ones are core to our faith. So we put the core ones, the essential ones, in the center. And if you want to major in the majors, as the saying goes, then you want to focus on, on these things. You can read the essentials of our church at newcovchurch.org slash what we believe, along with the scripture passages that form these essential beliefs. Further out on the circle are the important beliefs, and uh, we might disagree on these as long as uh, the important beliefs are built on the essentials and that they're grounded in the Bible. And further out still are opinions. With opinions, may we have a question that isn't addressed fully in the Bible, um, but our own experience leads us to form an opinion on that question. Brothers and sisters in Christ can hold a variety of opinions, um, and the best that we can do is form an educated guess based on what we've read, what we've heard, what we've experienced. We should hold on to important beliefs and opinions with a loose grip. They can change over time as we grow in our maturity, as we seek out wise counsel or read books from trusted authors. If we hold tightly to a belief that isn't grounded, that isn't essential and tested by Scripture, then, and if that belief is shown to be untrue in some way, then it can cause us to doubt our faith if we made that like the core. Um, it's also helpful to remember that sometimes we'll find a tension between what we read in the Bible and what maybe we want to be true. I was listening to a podcast last week, and they were interviewing Bono, the lead singer of the band U2. Now, I'm a huge U2 fan. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, one Christmas, I got three cassette tapes and a, a Walkman. And the three cassettes were uh, Kenny Loggins, Back to Avalon, Bon Jovi, New Jersey. Did I get a yeah from Kenny Loggins? Wow. Okay. And the third one was U2, The Joshua Tree. Um, and that's the one that, that I wore out. I, I wore the tape out, and then I bought a CD when I got a CD player. And I scratched that one up enough that I, I bought another CD of it eventually. Um, so I've listened to this album my entire life. Uh, my wife and I got to go see the Joshua Tree tour uh, six years ago in Chicago, and it was, it was a great full-circle moment uh, for me. Um, anyway, they've been formational to me. And, and in the interview, Bono talked about his faith journey and at one point, he was asked about his relationship with his father. Um, I don't know the whole story behind this, but apparently when Bono's dad died, um, Bono felt that there were still things that he needed to say to his dad. But he couldn't. And this is what he shared on the podcast. He said, I like going to churches actually better when there's no service on, because then I get to feel things without having to parse them, you know, intellectually. And I was just in an empty chapel, and yeah, I apologized to my father, and my theology doesn't allow me the belief that he was listening, but I was listening to myself. And there's a romantic part of me that does believe that he was listening. So what I love about this is that Bono recognizes that there's this tension between his emotions and his beliefs on an intellectual level. He would like it to be true that his dad can hear him, but he doesn't see anything in the scripture that leads him to believe that it is true. And notice he doesn't say the church's theology. He says my theology. He, he embraces it. 
even though maybe if he was creating his own theology, um, he would put things a little differently. He doesn't allow his experience to change something he knows to be true. We let the essential truth of the Bible and the gospel of Jesus frame or our important beliefs and opinions, not the other way around. We can live in that tension that he illustrates here, knowing that, number one, God is beyond our full comprehension. And number two, just because we don't have all the answers today doesn't mean that we won't know more tomorrow. 1 Corinthians, 3, or 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. We're moving to this place where uh, we're going to know all things in Jesus. So it's okay to wrestle with these things now. So, uh, so far in this series, we've covered the following. Um, Number one, God is the loving creator of the universe. God is one God existing eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We talked about how Jesus is God the Son. Jesus is fully man and fully human. He was born of Mary. He lived a perfect life without sin. He willingly gave his life on the cross, and after three days, he rose from the dead. Um, We've talked about how the Holy Spirit is God within us. He guides us to truth. He counsels and comforts us. He, he prays on our behalf. He seals us for eternity as a believer the moment that we put our faith in Jesus. And we've talked about how humanity is made in the image of God, and so every person we meet has dignity and worth. Brett talked about how last week how we are wonderfully made, but we are hopelessly fallen. And maybe that's a good place to start this week, even though it doesn't sound like much fun. Uh, we are hopelessly fallen. What do we mean by that? If you look around the world today, it's easy to see the brokenness of humanity. Some of us have some serious flaws. And by some of us, I mean all of us. (laughs) All of us have some serious flaws. It's not something we like to talk about a lot because it's kind of a downer. We want you to come back next week. (laughs) But uh, if you look at the facts, anxiety, depression, psychological disorders, they're on the rise. The... The rate of teenage uh, suicide among girls has doubled since 2007. Uh, abortions, the number is declining year by year, but still, last, in 2020, there were over 600,000 abortions. We're more polarized in our views in America right now than ever before. If we disagree with someone, especially on political lines, we see them as the enemy. You know, identity politics used to be about finding common identity. Now identity politics is about identifying the enemy and finding common uh, allies against the enemy. Uh, Intimate partner violence affects more than 12 million people each year. And that includes nearly 3 in 10 women and 1 in 10 men. This is not the world as it's intended to be. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1 describes this miraculous speaking into existence that God does of the stars and the moon and and the planet and and the waters and the land and the the plants and the animals. And, And in the end, he makes Adam and Eve the first human beings. And all of it, God says, is good. God himself is holy and perfect in nature. He His love and communal self created the world and created us to be in relationship with God. So in the Garden of Eden, you had Adam and Eve, and they had everything that they needed. They had purposeful work. They had love, God's love, and they belonged. There was was no death. There was no weeping. This is the world as it is intended to be. It's perfect, and it's whole, and it's with God. 
But in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve disobey God, and this disobedience fractures our relationship with God. It's, it's like how a tiny chip in a windshield can kind of splinter across and, and crack the whole thing. Or a single drop of food coloring will tint a glass of water. We go from being perfect to flawed with a single act of disobedience. We're broken. We're fallen. And that, in just a few words, is, is sin. Sin is... It's both a condition that we have, and it's the behaviors that come out of that condition. Lies, anger, um, hurtful words, hate, addictions, theft, lust, gluttony. These are all sins, and our tendency to do the selfish thing in any given situation is sin. Now, some of us have gotten pretty good at managing sin in our lives. We can look pretty good on the outside. We, we do good things maybe most of the time, but the Bible is clear that All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. And the wages of sin is death. That's Romans 6.23. Sin leads to death. We have this tendency towards sin. We're powerless to make things right, and that leads us to death. That's why Brett used the phrase, hopelessly fallen. There's nothing that we can do to to rectify things. We need a rescuer. Everyone needs a rescuer. When I was maybe five or six, and my parents are here today so they can verify this if you want the full story, um, I was playing outside one morning, and we had this orchard with a few fruit trees that was right out the, the door, and I was playing Superman. I'm pretty sure I had a towel tied around my neck um, so that I had a cape, and in the middle of the orchard was this old well pump that uh, the well was set about six feet below the ground, and so... Uh, they had put planks over it to make sure nobody fall, fell in. And, and in addition, since, since uh, my brother and I uh, were, were small, they had put like a, a, a horse tank, a stock tank um, around it with the bottom cut out so that you could access the well um, so that nobody could get in there. Well, I was chasing our cat around, and our cat jumped the barrier, probably to get away from Superman. And uh, Superman decided, well, let me rescue the cat. So I crawled over the barrier, and um, I went out to get the cat. And the next thing I know, I'm lying at the bottom of this well. And uh, um, fortunately, my little brother, who probably three or four, um, he, he found me. And I asked him to go get mom. And so uh, he, he, he did. But unfortunately, um, what mom heard was, Brett's not feeling good. Can I bring him some crackers? <laughs> And, and so mom's like, sure, and she gives him some crackers. So, uh, so my brother shows up again, and he's got crackers. Of course, there's no way for me to get the crackers from him, so he just sits down to eat the crackers. <laughs> Fortunately, mom watched this whole thing. She's like, Brett's not feeling good. This is that's an odd thing. So she saw my brother go to the well, and, and so she came out, and she found me, and uh, and. But there was no way for me to climb out of this well. I was, you know, probably this tall, and it's, it's, it's a six-foot well. There's, there's just no way to get out of it. Um, I needed a rescuer. I needed someone to help me out of this. There, I was powerless to get out of it myself. Um, and here's the good news of Jesus when it comes to sin. Uh, the Bible says in Romans 5, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Despite our sin, despite the fact that we're fallen and broken and selfish, God loves us. God sent Jesus to save us. 
So now we might see the brokenness around us. We might know that there's still healing work that God is doing within us. But we have a hope for the future. The best is yet to come, truly. And, be, and that's because Jesus, in Jesus we are saved and being renewed daily. We call this salvation. And that's what I want to talk about for the rest of our time this morning. Salvation is one of those words that we don't use a lot in popular culture. Um, we'll hear Savior tossed around, but not salvation. Uh, so it probably needs some definition. Our statement of faith says that salvation is a gift from God. People can never make up for sin by self-improvement or good works. Man can only be saved from sin's penalty by trusting in Jesus as God's offer of forgiveness. Eternal life begins the moment one receives Jesus Christ into his or her life by faith. This is a core belief of the Christian faith, that salvation comes only through Jesus. There's nothing that we can do ourselves to atone for our sin, Uh, There's no way for us to remove the stain of sin completely. Other religions, as Steve illustrated a couple months ago, say that the climb to salvation is something that we must attempt. But if perfection is the goal, we all fall vastly short. So we have this uh, graphic of uh, these these mountains that represent trying to attain this perfection. Um, And the good news of, of the gospel is that Jesus took one of these mountains and turned it upside down. He made the climb to us. And so in John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. He made the journey. What we couldn't do ourselves, God has done for us. I find this to be a beautiful expression of love from an all-powerful Father who desires relationship with us. Now, even though the doctrine of salvation is an essential belief, there's debate around salvation in a couple of areas, and these debates fall into the important beliefs category. For example, one question that has been asked over and over is, who chooses whom? Does God choose, pe- choose to save some people? This belief is called predestination or the doctrine of election. God predestines or elects some to be saved but not others, and there's plenty of verses in the Bible that point to this. Um, so, the other option is that we choose God, that, that He saves us, but we choose to follow Him. This belief is called free will, and as you might guess, it's because it proposes that the gift of salvation is offered to all of us, but it's up to each of us to choose to follow God. We have that choice. There are many passages in the New Testament supporting this view, too. Um, If we didn't have some choice in the matter, why would so many verses call on us to repent, to believe, to trust Jesus? In this case, maybe our all-knowing God knows in advance the choice that we will make, but the choice is still ours. Or maybe it's some combination of the two, of predestination and free will. Does God choose us and we choose God? I don't know, and this has been debated since the beginning. Um, the, we don't have enough information to fully understand how it would work, but maybe embracing the mystery and sitting in that tension um, when we're talking about a God who's bigger than our minds can contain, maybe that's the answer. May we just wrestle with this one? And as I said, really smart followers of Jesus have fallen on both sides of this discussion. So I think we can put this in the category of important but not necessarily essential beliefs. But regardless of who chooses whom, the Bible tells us the story of a God of salvation, a God that saves. And it uses some words like propitiation, redemption, substitutionary atonement, reconciliation, to describe salvation. Again, words that we don't use a lot in culture today. 
The Bible we have today was written originally in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek, and it was written with lots of descriptive word pictures that people of ancient history would have understood well. It was written to be understood, but because we're so far removed from the culture and the geography and the location and civilization and language in which the Bible is written, a lot of that is lost on us. So we get these big words in our modern translations that leave out the meaning behind the words. So let's talk about some of these word pictures to get an idea of what the Bible means by salvation. First, propitiation. Propitiation means God's wrath turned. The Greek word for propitiation is hilasterion, and it's found in Hebrews 9 and Romans 3, and it's translated there as mercy seat. Now, the mercy seat was essentially the cover of the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament. It was where God would appear as a cloud to show his presence to his people. Andrew Scholes writes, For Jewish believers, Hilasterion would call up the vivid image of the Day of Atonement when the high priest entered the Holy of Holies and poured the blood of a defect-free lamb on the golden cover of the Ark of the Covenant. At the end of this ritual, the children of Israel knew that their sins were covered for another year and God's righteous wrath toward them would be turned away. Hebrews 9 goes on to compare that ritual with Jesus' death on the cross. It says, But Christ has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. He entered the most holy place once and for all time, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. In Jesus, we see the final and perfect sacrifice for sin. And the result is that God's wrath against our sin is not turned away for a year, but it's turned away eternally. It's permanent. Second, this word redemption. Redemption means sins slaves free. Slavery was very common in first century Rome. Every city had a slave market where conquered foreign citizens were sold to the wealthy as slaves. It was a terrible custom, but New Testament writers use it to make a point. If a slave was bought out of slavery, the Greek word was exagorazo, or bought out of. The Greeks and Romans customarily put a mark on the free slave's wrist or forehead so that he, could, he or she could never be sold into slavery again. The cost was high, but the result was great. Redemption is about, the freedom, uh, is about our freedom um, from the slavery of sin. So it's a powerful image. The New Testament writers drew on both the Old Testament exodus where uh, God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, and on the present terrible reality of slavery in their own time, to show that Jesus paid the ultimate price to redeem us from sin. Romans six seventeen and 18 says, But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over, and having been set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness." In Jesus, we're no longer slaves to sin. We're free of its power forever, permanently. Third, substitutionary death or atonement. This means Christ trades places. The result of sin has always been death. And as I mentioned earlier, this goes all the way back to Genesis. One of the first pictures we have of, of death is that when Adam and Eve disobeyed God in Genesis 3, they didn't die right at that moment. Uh, But one of the things that happens is that Adam and Eve realize that they're naked, and they become ashamed of their nakedness. So, what does God do? 
Genesis 3.21 says, The Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Animal skins. Sin resulted in death, atonement, and a covering. An animal was killed to atone for the sin of Adam and Eve. This continues through the Old Testament. As I mentioned earlier, the Day of Atonement, where a defect-free lamb would be sacrificed to atone for the sins of the people. Um, and, And then we jump to the New Testament, where Jesus, the Lamb of God, is crucified for us. And Paul writes, He made God, made the one Jesus, who did not know sin, to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Christ trades places with us. The wages of sin is death, yes, but the gift of God is eternal life through faith in Christ Jesus. So we put our trust in Jesus who has atoned completely for the sins of the world, permanently. That's substitutionary atonement. Finally, reconciliation. This means relationship restored. The result of Jesus' work on the cross, propitiation, redemption, substitutionary atonement, is that we are reconciled or brought back into relationship with God. Remember, in the beginning, when the world was made, it was made for us, and we were made to be in relationship with God. And not just you and me, but everyone. Everyone was made to know God and to experience God knowing them. That's part of what we're called to in Christ, to to share the love and grace of Jesus with others. This should change the way we see everyone. Every person we meet is not an enemy, but someone who needs to be reconciled to God. Um, 2 Corinthians 5 talks about this. It says, From now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. In Christ, we're reconciled to God permanently, and we get to share Jesus with those around us that they might know the same reconciliation. You see how good the good news is? Jesus means that God's wrath is turned away, that we are free from the bondage of sin. Jesus took our place that we could have life, true life. We have relationship with God who loves us, who knows us fully, and we can take Jesus to everyone we meet. When Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, this is what he was talking about, grace, love, joy, peace within us and pointing us out to the world around us. And all of this as we just read, comes from God. Jesus satisfies God's wrath towards sin. God redeemed us when we were trapped in bondage to sin. God took our place on the cross. God restored our relationship through Jesus. What is our part? That's the question that is asked throughout Acts, and it's, it's what must I do to be saved? And the answer is simply put your faith in Jesus. During the Reformation, one of the great cries that rose up was sola fides, or only by faith. At the time, the Roman Catholic Church taught that in addition to faith, you had to do good works and receive the sacraments in order to be saved. But the Protestants of the Reformation keyed in on Ephesians 2, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, 
And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We are not saved by anything that we do ourselves. We're not saved by our works. Salvation is a gift from God so that all the credit and the glory belongs to him for what he's done for us. We just need to have faith. And faith is essentially trust. What we mean by putting our faith in Jesus is basically that we trust Jesus for our salvation. We receive what he did for us on the cross as a gift. We recognize that in Jesus we're free of sin, and we trust that he has redeemed us completely. Sin has no power over us. We put our faith in Jesus alone and trust our salvation to the hands and the feet of the crucified Lord of all. Now, out of that pours good deeds, good works, our worship, our giving, our our baptism, our, our communion, our sharing Jesus with friends and family. All of that is a response to what he has accomplished permanently for us. We don't follow Jesus so that he will save us. We follow Jesus because he has saved us. One final idea before we respond to what we've heard. I I hope you've noticed that I've emphasized in each of the word pictures another word, the word permanently. When it comes to our salvation, there's nothing that can cause us to lose the life we have in Christ once we put our faith in him. Look at verses like 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5 that says, The inheritance we have in Christ is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond reach of change or decay. Or else Jesus' own words in John 10 where he says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. God will never let you go. Your salvation is secure in Christ. Blessed assurance, Jesus belongs to you, and you are held by him. I'd like the worship team to come up, and uh, here's just some closing thoughts here. Romans 6.23, as I mentioned before, says the wages of sin is death. But it goes on to say, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus came to rescue you from your own sin, from hopelessness, from waking up unsure of or afraid of tomorrow. Jesus came to give you an abundant life, eternal hope, a transformation that you can't accomplish on your own. If you've never decided to put your trust in Jesus or your hope in Jesus, I want to invite you to consider doing it right now. Eternal life begins the moment you put your faith in Jesus. The worship team is going to play a song in a minute that celebrates the covenant that we have with the God of our salvation. He can be the God of your salvation if you'll trust him today. Let's, Let's pray together. God, uh, thank you for who you are. Thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us. Thank you that you've made all these things available in Jesus. God, I pray that, that we would remember what you have done for us and that our first response would be just to say, God, I am a sinner. I admit that I've fallen short of of what you have called for each of us, that that I'm helpless to do anything about it. And I believe in the free gift of grace and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus. I believe that Jesus is Lord. God, today I put my trust in you, and I ask that you would 
Help me to see you more and more each day, that you would do a work in me, and I trust you for that as well, God. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending him, and thank you uh, for the chance to hear the good news, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If, if you're making the decision to follow Jesus for the first time this morning, we want you to let us know. Um, you can... You can Talk to us after service, or you can scan the QR code on the back of the seat pockets, or, um, or if you're joining us online, please make a comment in the, and, and let us know. Um, we want to help you uh, follow Jesus, and, uh, and we're excited to hear about that. So um, let's kind of meditate on this as, as the worship team uh, shares a song here.